But today is a special day. Jen and Austin, you've spent two years going through the basics of the Christian faith. And today we celebrate you being done with the classwork. You're done with the class times. You don't have to show up again anymore Wednesday evenings and deal with my difficult questions that even I don't understand what I'm asking. But you've learned the basics of Christianity. You know about God's perfect and inerrant word, the Bible. You've studied the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and the Sacraments. And that's a lot to fit in in just two years, but I had the opportunity this past week to examine both of you, and you both did very well. Uh, I hope you didn't fear that too much or lose too much sleep over that. But I was encouraged to see how much you have retained and encouraged to know that as you have confessed here before our congregation, as you confessed to me this week as well, that you intend to remain in Christ and to grow in him. The tests are over, the homework is done, and you're finished with confirmation. But this isn't the end. You might be thinking, what do you mean this isn't the end? Do I have to show up again on Wednesday? Are there more tests that are coming? No, I don't think there's any more tests, not that I know of yet. But who knows? I might throw a pop quiz in there for you. There aren't any more confirmation classes for you to attend. But if you remember, during your examination, I asked you this question. How will you keep growing in Christ after confirmation? In confirmation, we studied the question, how can you continue to grow as a Christian? And you know the answers by reading God's word, by spending time in prayer, by coming to church, by going to Sunday school, by studying who Jesus is. But the question was a little different in your examination. It was more personal. How will you continue to grow? And this question isn't just for the confirmands. This question is for everyone here this morning. How will you continue to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because confirmation is not the ending. Uh, today is not the ending for your walk in faith either. It's the beginning. Each and every day, God invites us to live for him, to follow him. And I would invite you to do the same as well. But our text this morning comes towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's the disciples' confirmation, as it were. It's Jesus' last night with them. And here in this text, Jesus confirms his disciples. And he prays for them. In the very next chapter, Jesus will be betrayed and put on trial. The crowd would ask for him to be crucified, and Jesus was crucified. But here in John chapter 17, just before Jesus goes to the garden to pray, he takes some time to pray to his Father, to pray for these disciples, these men who he has trained for these last three years, to encourage them for the task that lies ahead of them. He prays that they would be kept in his name, that they would be kept from evil, and that they would be sanctified. Follow along as I read John chapter 17, verses 9 through 17, and I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. That's John chapter 17, verses 9 through 17, reading in Jesus' name. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you. 
And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Father God, we thank you for your word. And as we just read, Father, your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here this morning. Open our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. And help us to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and the one who confirms us before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We'll look at three things this morning. What does it mean to be kept in his name? What does it mean to be kept from evil? And what does it mean to be sanctified? The first one, what does it mean to be in someone's name? I was trying to think of a good example for this, and the thing that came to my mind was marriage. And I'm sure for you women out there, you remember this time in your life when you not only got to marry a very special man, a very lucky man, but you also had to change your name. Your name no longer was your maiden name anymore. It changed. You had to take their name. And as you went through the court documents and all the legal hoops, hoops I've been here for too long. <laughs> Oops. All the legal hoops that you have to drive through in order to make sure that you have the correct right name now. You now go by another name. It's Mrs. Insert your last name here. Uh, you have a new identity. You're still the same person, but you have a new identity. You belong to your husband. No, you're not an object for your husband. You're not a possession, but it's a sense of belonging. There is a relationship there that you are now in his name. And in the same sense as, we, as Jesus prays and says to, of his disciples that you are in my name, I have kept them, Father, in your name. It's the same idea that you are in Jesus' name. You have a new identity. Your identity is no longer the old name that you go by, but it is Christian. It is child of God. It is son or daughter of the king. And this is what it means to be in his name, to be saved by him. Jesus prays in verse 11. He says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. And in verse 12, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, that not one of them perished. For three years, Jesus has been molding and shaping his disciples, teaching them what it means to be a follower of Jesus, teaching them what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, telling them again who you are, who God says that you are, what it means to be saved. And now here, as Jesus is in his final night with his disciples, he is praying for them, praying, Father, I have kept them in your name. They have continued to be your children. I have saved them. You have saved them. And God, now as I am going back to you, as I am leaving this place and going back to heaven in just a few more days, Father, I pray that you would keep them, that you would watch over them and do just as I did. Jesus is ready to go to the cross. He knows what's coming. But he also knows what's in store for his disciples as well. And he cares for them. 
In verse 12, he says that he's keeping them in God's name. This is what he has done for his whole earthly ministry. He's kept them. For three years, he's kept them from wandering astray. He's kept them from leaving the flock of God's sheep. He was keeping them in their identity, that they belong to God. They are his. And as Jesus is preparing to leave, he asks the Father to continue to keep them in his name, and he is committing them to his Father's care. Today is a special day for you, Jenna and Austin. Yesterday was a special day for you, Dakota, as you graduated from high school. Congratulations. Your parents will no longer, they won't follow you to college, I don't think. I think you're still planning on staying here. But as you go off to college, Dakota, as you leave this place and find out who you are as a person on your own and you start to blaze your own trails, your parents are committing you to God's care. We as a congregation are committing you to God's care, knowing that God will keep you safe, that he would continue to reveal himself to you, and he would be with you every step of the way. And Jenna and Austin, when your parents first brought you to the Lord in baptism, as we remembered here this morning, they're committing you to the Father's care, knowing that they can't save you no matter how much they want to save you or they desire to save you, they can't. But they're trusting God and the promises in his word that he has saved you in your baptism, committing you to his care. And in so doing, they've nurtured you in the faith. They have brought you to church. They have taught you God's word. They have prayed with you, and they'll continue to do so. Your Sunday school teachers and confirmation teachers and pastors have done that in the past, and they will continue to do so again in the future. And we can do all of these things, and I'm sure parents, grandparents, you've prayed for your kids, for your grandchildren. But no matter how much you pray for them, you cannot save them. You cannot keep them. And so we must leave them into the Father's hands. And as we look at what the Father's hands are, we know that this is a place of safety, a place of comfort, a place of joy. What better care can we leave our children in? So Jesus is committing his disciples here in our text into his Father's care, saying, God, Father, I'm coming home, and these children are going to stay here in this world. They need help. They need to be kept in your name. They can't do it on, by themselves. Father, will you keep them in your name? And as you have confessed your faith here in front of all of us, we pray that, you would keep, that God would keep you in the faith as well until he calls you home. And for all of us here today who believe in Jesus Christ, God is keeping you. As we heard the confession of the confirmands, as they respond to the same questions that their parents were asked to them when they were baptized, God has kept them in the faith for so many years. And for you, as you have grown up in the church, as you've been baptized, as you've come to church, as you have believed in Jesus Christ, God has confirmed you as well, and he has kept you. And this is a testimony to the goodness of God, to his ability to keep you and preserve you and to sanctify you. Jesus tells us in his word that he is the one who gives eternal life, that he's the one who gives eternal life to his sheep, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says that in him, in Jesus Christ, you are safe. No one is going to be able to snatch you from his hands. No one can take away the work that God has done in your life. And he continues on a few verses later. Jesus says in John chapter 10, My Father has given them to me. My Father is the one who has given me these sheep. But my Father is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. 
These are the hands to which you are being given over to. These are the hands that keep you, that uphold you, that strengthen you, that protect you, that watch over you. The hands of Jesus Christ, the pierced hands, the ones that have forgiven you. The hands of God the Father, the hands in which no one else is able to take you out of. These are the hands that hold you and protect you each and every day of your lives. And as you submit yourself to the Father's hands, as you commit yourself to him, you are safe in him. You have nothing to fear. And so we pray, not just for you, confirmants, not just for you, graduate, but for you, everyone here today, that you would commit yourselves into the Father's hands, and that you would find safety and security there. Today is a special day for another reason. It's Mother's Day. And for all of you mothers, thank you for everything that you've done to raise your kids. Mom, if you're listening to this, thank you as well. But have you gotten your mom a gift yet for Mother's Day? This was the conundrum that my brothers and I had suffered year after year, wanting to do something nice for my mom and never quite knowing what she wanted. We knew she didn't want material things, but how can you give something that's not material? And so we put our heads together, and the best thing that we could come up with was a coupon book. My mom loves coupons. But these coupons were special. They weren't for any grocery store or anything like that. They were coupons for a 15-minute shoulder massage, coupons for one night of clearing the table, coupons for I will make a meal for you sometime. And the one that she always requested and that was the hardest to write out, one day of no fighting or arguing. (laughs) I think that's what she really wanted. But what do our moms really want? The older I get, the more I know about my mom, I find out she doesn't want material things. She doesn't, she loves coupon books, I'm sure, and I'm sure she would love some more coupons, maybe with the gas cards to get down here. But it's not something physical that she wants. Rather, what would please moms the most is just to be with their kids, just to have their kids with them. So the question comes, How do you glorify your mom? How do you honor your mom today on Mother's Day? The answer is just by being with her, just by being her kid. What does this have to do with our text this morning? There's a short little phrase in verse 10. John chapter 17, verse 10, Jesus says this of his disciples. I have been glorified in them. I have been glorified in them just as a mom is glorified in her kids. And today is a special day because she has kids. She gets to celebrate them. Jesus is glorified in you just in the fact of you being his kid. And Jesus wants nothing more in this world than for you to be his, for you to belong to him, for you to rest safely and securely in his hands today to trust in him. It's not a matter of doing, it's not a matter of buying anything, but it's a matter of simply being, simply being his. And so this morning, Jesus prays for you, and he says of you who are in Christ that I am glorified in you. The fact that he could take a smelly old fisherman or young fisherman and turn them into one of his disciples. The fact that he can take a hated tax collector No one really likes tax collectors, even still to this day. 
But the fact that he could take someone so hated and despised by the world and say, I love you, you are mine, you are my child, this brings God glory. And the fact that he can take a sinner like myself and a sinner like you and save you, this brings God glory. And Jesus says, I have been glorified in them. Jesus keeps you in his name. Jesus protects you. He has given you this new name. He has given you this identity for what he has done on the cross. And as he comes to you through his word today, as he reveals that you are a sinner, as he reveals that he has saved you, that he has paid the penalty for your sin, and as he has adopted you to be his child, he keeps you in his name. It's not something that you believe. It's something that you are. It's something that God has done for you. He's given us a new identity in Christ. And as we looked this morning in Sunday school, in him we are new creations. We are saved. But as we are in him, we find something else as well. We find that God keeps us from something. He doesn't just keep us in his name. He keeps us from something. We find protection in him. Not only does Jesus pray that we be kept in his name, but he prays that we be kept from evil. In verses 14 through 15, Jesus prays this. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus knows his followers are going to experience trouble. He knows this world isn't an easy place to live. This world is going to reject them. And he's not talking about the world being a physical place. He's not talking about the ground chewing you up and spitting you out, even though some days, let's be real, life feels like that. But this isn't what Jesus is talking about. As Jesus is talking about the world, he's defining it the same way that Paul defines it in Ephesians. As the rulers, the powers, the the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness. This is the world. Jesus says, my disciples are not in this world, but yet they still live amongst this dark place, amongst this wicked place, and they can't coexist. Jesus says, I am the light, and as you are in the light, there is no room for darkness anymore. But this world he describes as darkness. Light and darkness can't intermix any more than water and oil can intermix. It just doesn't happen. They can't coexist. They're different. And why is it that they're different? Why can't the Christians in the world just get along with one another? Why can't they just mix? Why can't they just live with one another? And the answer is because it's an issue of truth. It's an issue of truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? I'm sure sometimes at one point in your life someone has told you something true maybe about yourself, maybe a critique about something, and you really don't want to listen to that. And you have two options when the truth confronts you and it hurts. You can either A, accept it and be hurt and heal from it, or you can B, reject it and say that's not true and defiantly raise your fists against it and say how dare you say something like that about me. Sometimes the truth hurts. And God's word sometimes hurts. It's difficult to read because as we read God's word, we find out who we are and we find out who he is and who he calls us to be. We find the truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say that some people sin. It doesn't say that just those who are in prison or the ones who've done something really bad have sinned. It says all have sinned. 
from the oldest to the youngest, every single person is a sinner. And every single person is in need of God's grace. And that message means that you can't save yourself by your own. His word tells us that there is salvation, not, there is no salvation apart from Christ. That Jesus is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to heaven. And as we believe that truth of God's word, holding on to that one truth, it necessarily means that anything else that says, believe whatever you want, is not true. It necessarily means that anything that this world tries to offer as a truth claim that says, if you have enough things, you'll be happy and you'll live a great life. You'll live long and you'll be fine for all of eternity. If you do enough good deeds, you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. But God's word tells us it's not about doing good words, good works. It's about believing in Jesus and what he has done for you. See, each one of us are sinners in need of God's grace. No one wants to be told you're a sinner, but it's the truth of God's word. And as we take an honest look at ourselves, as we measure ourselves up against God's word, we can't confess anything other than that, that I am a sinner in need of God's grace. But as we look at this truth, as we continue to read God's word, we find out that God in his word reveals to us that there is a way, that Jesus Christ is the way. He reveals to us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life in him. The way is Jesus Christ and God loves the world. He loves each one of you today so much that he's given his only son so that you can be saved. So that you don't have to buy into the lies of the world anymore. But you can believe the truth of God's word. The problem with having these two different truths is there can only be one truth. You can have, you can tell yourself that something else is true. You can numb yourself to the reality of the sting of the pain of this truth, but you're just numbing yourself for a little while. Eventually, truth is still truth, and truth will remain. And you can't numb yourself forever. Eventually, reality will hit. There will be no more numbing, and I'll admit it, it's scary. When we look at who God is, a holy and just God, a God who doesn't tolerate sin, it's terrifying because we know that we are sinners. And unless we are in Jesus Christ, that will terrify us. But if we are in Jesus Christ and covered by his blood and forgiven, that's where we find the comfort and the peace. And that comfort and peace lasts all the days of our lives here. We find the truth in God's word that there is a God and he has given us standards to live by. And we're accountable for our actions. And this is why the world fights tooth and nail to uphold this separate truth. Because they don't want to be accountable. They don't want to acknowledge that there is someone else who gets to call the shots. I want to call the shots. But God's word says, no, that's not how it works. This is how I've created the world to be. This is truth. Trust in this truth. But rather than dealing with the truth, sometimes it's easier to just deal with the messenger, isn't it? It's easier just to shoot the messenger, to kill the messenger, to shut up the messenger so they can't bring that truth anymore. And we can live in blissful ignorance in our own truths, whatever that might be. And so the world tries to deal with the messenger rather than the message. They did it with Jesus. They sent him to the cross. And Jesus knows that they're going to do it to his disciples as well. They're going to try to get rid of the messenger. And so Jesus prays here in our text, here his last days on earth, 
Jesus is praying, saying, Father, protect them. Keep them in the truth. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. If Jesus knows what's coming, if Jesus knows all the pain and the suffering and the hard times that his disciples are going to go through on this earth, why doesn't Jesus just take them out now? Why doesn't he just take them with him? And the answer is because there are more people in this world that need to know who Jesus is. And he has given us this task. Confirmation isn't over. You've known this, you've studied the truths of God's word. You know the basics of him, of his word. You know that God loves all people. You know that God wants all people to be saved. And you know what God has done to save people. This is a message that we have. This is the truth that the world needs. We need to shine the light in the darkness so that more people would come to know who Jesus Christ is, that they would realize the truth sooner than later, that they would be set free and saved. Jesus says here in his word that they would be protected from evil. How does Jesus keep his disciples from evil? How does God protect them? And in verse 17, we find the answer to this. In verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in your word. Here he tells us that God's word is true. So how does God protect us today? He does this through his word. By giving us his truth, by giving us the only measure, the only standard of truth that we can trust here in this world. The one that will never change, regardless of what culture says, regardless of the newest fads and fashions. He's given us the standard of truth. Now, earlier I mentioned how safe and secure we are in his name, that no one can snatch us out, and this is true, as we remain in his hands, as we abide in him. But there's another truth that scripture talks about, and this truth is that there is still an old nature living inside of you, an old nature that still wants to sin, that still wants nothing to do with God. Scripture talks about this, and it says you're going to have this fight for the rest of your life. So which dog are you going to feed in the fight? You're going to continue to feed yourself God's word so that God wins in this? Or are you going to continue to give God's word the shaft so that you give in to your sinful nature? As we continue to give in to our sinful nature over and over and over again, there is a danger of falling away. And Jesus prays, Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Keep them from evil. Help them to continue to stay in your word. And this is what God is doing today. Through his word, as you study his word, as you open his word, every time you open God's word, God is sanctifying you through his truth. He's doing that in each one of us today. So this is why we continue to come to church. This is why we continue to open up God's word to study, so that we would be sanctified in this truth, so that we would be strengthened for this fight, so that we would be kept from evil. And this work isn't finished, and this work won't be finished until God calls us home. But as we remain in his hands, we are safe and secure. As Jesus is praying for his disciples in our text, know that he is praying for you too today. Know that he is the one who has given you his name. He's the one who has given you a new identity, that you are Christian. He's the one who keeps you in that name and prays that you will be kept from all evil. He does these things through his word. And so today, whatever stage of life you're in, whether you are confirmed, whether you're graduating high school, whether you're finally finishing school for this school year, whether you're an adult or a child, be sanctified in God's word. Submit yourself to his truth and be kept 
from evil in God's hands. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the truths of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, that you confirm us, that you have kept us every day of our lives, and that, Lord, you are able to keep us until you call us home. That faithful are you who calls us, and you will bring this work of salvation to completion in us until you call us home. Lord, I pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to you, to submit ourselves to your truth. Protect us, Lord, from everything that this world has to offer. Protect us from our own hearts, Lord, as we want to tend to stray away from you. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Help us to look to you and to find the forgiveness that you offer us in your word and in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you that they would come to know you. Give us courage and boldness, Lord, to bring your truth to a world that's desperately looking for truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.